You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, guys, how are you doing? I got something in my eye. Do you see anything there? Do I have something in my eye? Oh, this silly thing. This is a Super Bowl ring. I, when I played for the Seattle Seahawks, I was a kicker in 1982-83. Nobody believes it. All right, we lost a Super Bowl ring. If anybody's missing a Super Bowl ring, this is your ring. I cannot wear rings at all, but it'll, I'll keep it up here. But uh, anyway, who's, shooting, who's rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? Holler if you're rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Holler if you're... Okay, that's one. And, and who's, uh, who's cheering for the 49ers? Yeah, <laughs> at least we love here... <laughs> We love here at Thorn Creek, um, you know, it'll be a fun game. I, I really, you know, whoever wins. But everybody's harassing me over this jersey. And the truth is I just raided my son's closet because I didn't have a jersey. And I'm just discovering the amount of hate Bronco fans have for the Chiefs. And uh, for the Chiefs, for the, for the Seahawks. But uh, it, it's, it's all good. So, um, hey, this video you just saw, did you hear uh, Tony Dungy talked about... Uh, how he got to this place, you know, he had a kind of a losing career with Tampa, and, and he got to this place where, you know what, if, if we don't win the Super Bowl, it's okay. You know, I, it's going to be okay. And uh, I appreciate that. And of course, he ended up winning, winning one. But um, uh, I'm excited about this message. It's called, God Won't Give You More Than You Can Handle. How many of you have ever heard someone tell you that? God won't give you more than you can handle. We're going to talk about that. So let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Uh, we humble ourselves before you. God, uh, I, I just ask, Lord, again, that you just uh, use me by your grace. I've preached this message two times already, Lord. You know that. But I want to preach it fresh right now, God. Give me strength, Lord. I want to leave it all out here on the field for you, Lord. And uh, we, we, we need to hear from you, God, more than anything else. We need to hear a word from you. Some people here are going through some tough times, and whether they're in the valley or the peak, Lord, would you just speak to every soul? Would you make that your prayer? Just tell God, God, speak to me. Just make that your prayer. God, speak to me. Tell him, open up my ears and give me a heart to receive your word and, and eyes to see and change my heart. Speak to me, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace. And Lord, while we're praying here, I want to pray for for a few other things. I want to pray for this coronavirus, Lord. I pray that it just goes away. I pray for healing when it happens, Lord. And I also want to pray for, um, you know, this helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant and, and his, his daughter, but there's also other families on that helicopter crash. And it just represents how in our world crazy things happen, God, that don't always make sense. So, Lord, our faith is in you, our trust is in you, and I just pray that you're with all families who have had tragic uh, experiences, Lord. Be with them. Be with our people here, God. Watch over every home, every marriage, every dating relationship, um, our children. Would you just be Lord of every area of our life, God? And go Niners, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
You think that really matters? Like God hears, you ever hear those interviews of like the players are like, yeah, we're going to, God helped us. And I think, well, I don't know if God's really for a team or another team, uh, unless it's the Broncos, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, uh, a pastor, uh, you know, incidentally, I, I, we had a, this guy at church here and he actually played college football. And he told me he, uh, was, uh, he was trying to get on the Dallas Cowboys football team and he's an older guy. So he said when he showed up, there was this coach there named Tom Landry. Um, how many of you have never heard of the name Tom Landry? Never heard of the name? You are lying, Emily. You are so lying. Um, but uh, he said that, uh, that Tom Landry was soft-spoken and just kind of managed and controlled the team. And there were these other guys named Tony Dorsett and these two tall Jones and these other guys out there. But he said that on that field, he said everyone was so strong and fast it was so obvious, and he thought he was a pretty good player until he got to that level. And it made me think how we can be in situations that are bigger than us, and we thought we were going to be okay, but we ended up, we're in this relationship, and now we're wondering, how in the world can I handle this? It's bigger than me, or maybe it's a financial situation, or maybe it's a health, a diagnosis, or something that something's happened in your life, and you're thinking, this situation is bigger than I could handle. Maybe that's where you're at. I appreciate Earl Smith. He worked as a chaplain in California's San Quentin State Prison, where he witnessed 12 executions and played chess with some, some well-known prisoners. But he's also the chaplain of the Golden State Warriors, and guess what? He's also the chaplain for the San Francisco 49ers. And he said this, I believe that in any ministry, it's important not to just focus on the individual with a spotlight, but also those in the shadow. I appreciate that. It reminds me that all of us need the grace of God. doesn't matter where we live. doesn't matter our address. doesn't matter how much uh, education we have or how much our salary is. We all need the grace of God. How many of you heard, God won't give you more than you can handle? That's a pretty popular phrase, and, and we're in this series called God Never Said That. So I want to debunk that, and it's important for us to understand what God's Word says is if we don't understand what God's Word says, we can take a principle and we can think that it actually applies to God. I've said it before, just because it rhymes doesn't mean it's true. And you can, you can, you can apply something wrong and false to, to God. So it's important for us to know uh, God's Word. So I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because this is where I believe it came from. And uh, verse 13, it says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There you go. Thank you. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be, what church? Tempted. Now, I think you guys have gotten enough rest. Did everybody get coffee? He will not let you be beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So this verse right here is talking about temptation. And it is true, God won't let you, or God won't give you more than you can handle related to temptation. That's true. This, this verse tells us that God is faithful. It tells us that when you're tempted, uh, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. God knows what you can handle. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it's a good word related to temptation. It is not related to any kind of crisis, any tragic circumstance, hardship, anything we face, difficult time, loss, pain, suffering. It's not related to that. 
Because the truth is, sometimes God puts us in situations or allows us to be in situations that are seemingly more than we could handle. But if you look in the Bible, you see over and over examples of God allowing people to be in situations that are bigger than themselves. And I think about Moses, when God, when God said, Moses, I want to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. Remember, Moses, his first response was, God, you have the wrong address. I'm not a great communicator. I'm not a great orator. I'm, I'm the wrong guy, God. You don't, don't choose me. Same thing with Gideon. When God said, oh, mighty hero, Gideon said, who are you talking about? I'm the least of the least of the least. I don't see myself as a mighty hero. I don't see myself as a hero. And God said, I want to use you. So I want to talk about this woman named Esther today, because as I prayed and thought about this, God won't give you more than you could handle. I thought, this is the life of Esther. Esther is this uh, incredible woman. Uh, she's uh, a Jewish maiden who became queen of Persia and rescued her people from a murderous plot to annihilate them. And you find her story right after the book of Nehemiah. So if you look in the Old Testament, right after the book of Nehemiah, there you find Esther, and the period is right around 539 BC. So here's this woman who gets herself in a situation and finds herself in a situation where she realizes, you know what, this is more than I could handle, and I want to look at that and, and just kind of, uh, just kind of uh, unpack her life just a little bit, and we're going to go over some verses, but a little background here. Um, there was this king named Xerxes. Xerxes is king of Persia, and he is a well-known king, and his, in fact, his, his reign and the territory that he oversees is enormous, and it, it, it involves Turkey and Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, Jordan, Lebanon, Israel, and even encompassed sections of modern-day Egypt, Sudan, Libya, and Saudi Arabia. Huge territory. He is feared. This is a powerful, powerful king. And one day, he had a party. He loved throwing parties, and this... this uh, he, he was in the middle of partying, and his parties would last for days. And then he said, I want to get my wife, Queen Vashti. Get Queen Vashti over here, and I want to parade her around so that everyone else can see her. And Queen Vashti said, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm no one's property. I'm not going to. That's what she did. And she said she refused to show up to the party. And, uh, and then King Xerxes, of course, he was counseled, and he said, okay, fine. You're not going to be queen anymore, and I'm not, you're not going to be in my presence anymore. So all of a sudden, a position became available. An opening became available. So, so uh, they uh, decided to do something because King Xerxes needed a, needed a queen. And uh, so they said, uh, let's look for women to take this position. And, and a historian named, uh, Jewish historian named Josephus, uh, he said there were a total of 400 women that were chosen to be candidates. So this is, this is like the original Bachelor right here, right? The movie, the TV show, Bachelor. This is it. 400 women show up. And check this out, ladies. They, for one full year, they had beauty treatments. One full year. Before they even went in front of the king, one full year of beauty treatments. Um, as a guy, that kind of excites me. I'm just being honest with you. But anyway, for one full year of beauty treatments, and then they were presented to the king. And out of all 400 women, there was one woman that stood out, and she happened to be a Jew, Esther. Esther stood out, and she was selected to be the king. So during this time, there was this really evil guy named Haman. Haman was a really evil guy, and he didn't like Jews. 
So he decided to implement this policy, and the king is not aware of Haman's schemes. And Haman says, I have an idea. Everywhere I walk around, people have to bow to me. If they don't, they're going to die. So Haman's walking around, and there was this wonderful Jewish guy of good reputation named Mordecai. And Mordecai saw Haman, and Mordecai loved God, feared God, the God of Abraham. And when he saw Haman, he said, I'm not going to bow down to you. I bow down to God alone. Well, that infuriated Haman. It infuriated him. So then he, it, he starts this whole policy thing, and he, he starts scheming a way of not just killing one Jew, but killing all Jews, killing all Hebrews. And that's the plan. So now Mordecai is in this situation, and he's related to Esther. Esther's in a position, she's now the queen of Persia, and, and that doesn't mean could the queen and the king sleep together every day. That's not what it means. But she is the, the, the person in position, and she sees the king only when she's invited to see him. But we're going to jump in chapter 4, verse 8, because Mordecai has this situation now where Haman wants to kill off all the Israelites, and uh, Mordecai is trying to fix the situation. So chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Mordecai gave Hathok a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. So there it is. He asked Hathok to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathok to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So, so you have Mordecai, and he's using a messenger to get to Esther to say, help. This is a tough situation. I need you to help. Right? So then verse, uh, verse 9 says, So Hathlock returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. So then Esther told Hathlock to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. So here's Esther's response. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathok gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So Esther's first response is, not me. This will uh, potentially, I may die. And, and you can't just go to the king uninvited. You have to have an appointment on your Google calendar, your iCalendar. I just can't show up because literally it may cost me my, my, my life. So I, I, I can't do that. Verse 13, Mordecai sends this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Look at this question. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther 
had ordered him. The thing that's unique about these 10 chapters in Esther is Esther, this book is known for not mentioning the name of God at all in these 10 chapters. But you see God working in the background. So if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, a, you know, I'm in a tough situation and it's my marriage, it's my work, it's my finances, and maybe you pray and you don't see God moving, you need to read the book of Esther because that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Esther. And the question is, why would a loving God allow you to be in a situation that is seemingly more than you could handle? Esther did not sign up to be the savior of the Israelites. Esther was handpicked to be the queen. She's living a life of luxury. She has the crown. And all of a sudden, she's now being sucked into this, to this mission to save the Israelites and to be the hero. And she doesn't want to be the hero. And she's like, look, I, didn't, I don't look. I got my own problems. I've got my own life. I don't need this, and it's more than she could handle. I want to share with you three reasons why I believe God puts us in situations that is more than we could handle. Here's the first one here. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle because God wants you to look past the mirror. See, we're, by nature, we're very self-centered. Even when you come to church, the question is, what's in it for me? Where you go shop, and it's all like, if, if I'm not having a good experience, I'm not going to come back. We're very self-centered people. Whether you're a Christian or not, typically we're very, very self-centered. And verse 13, Mordecai sends this message to Esther and says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. So Mordecai is telling her, look, don't think you're exempt. You're on the list. You may be on the bottom of the list, but eventually your life will be in jeopardy. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's not all about you. Can you do that? I know for some of you that felt really good. And for some of you who heard that, I know you're thinking, yes, it is. And you didn't hear that at all. I know you didn't. We know who you are. Verse 14, the question is, Mordecai asked, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Let's look at Mordecai for a little bit. Mordecai is related to Esther, and you know what he's doing? He's speaking truth to Esther. Do you have a Mordecai in your life? I mean, is there a Mordecai in your life that tells you stuff like, hey, you know what? You have a real problem with your temper. Hey, you know what? You have a real problem with the words that come out of your mouth. Hey, you know what? You have a real problem with the way you carry yourself. Hey, you know what? You have a real issue that comes out. And do you have a Mordecai in your life that speaks truth and love? How do you handle the Mordecai? Do you shut them down? Do you just argue with them? Do you just tell them, well, you do this? Do you get in an argument with them? Or do you listen? How, who's your Mordecai and how do you handle your Mordecai? See, when you have Mordecais in your life that truly love you, you grow in character. It's a beautiful thing. Mordecai tells Esther, look, don't think that you're going to be exempt. And, and here's a question. What if you're queen for exactly for this time, for such a time as this, what if everything was coming to the head and this is why you're in this position for this specific time? At some point, Esther has to look past her crown. At some point, she has to look past her title. At some point, she has to look past her image. John Ortberg wrote a book called Overcoming 
your shadow mission, overcoming your shadow mission. And he describes a shadow mission like this. A shadow mission is an authentic mission that has been derailed, often in imperceptible ways. Part of what makes the shadow mission so tempting is that it's usually so closely related to our gifts and passions. It's not 180 degrees off track. It is just 10 degrees off track. So stay with me. Here's a shadow mission with Esther. Esther is now queen. She has status. She's living a life of luxury. She is now living large. So it's kind of like box check, 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 check. And she's thinking, this is it. I've arrived. This was God's will for me to have this job, for me to be in this position. This is it. And then Mordecai comes around and says, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's, that's all good, but there is a bigger mission than what you're thinking. It's a divine mission. In the provinces, know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathok gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So Esther's first response is, not me. This will uh, potentially, I may die. And, and you can't just go to the king uninvited. You have to have an appointment on your Google calendar, your iCalendar. I just can't show up because literally it may cost me my my, my life. So I, I, I can't do that. Verse 13, Mordecai sends this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Look at this question. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. The thing that's unique about these 10 chapters in Esther is Esther, this book is known for not mentioning the name of God at all in these 10 chapters. But you see God working in the background. If you've ever been in a situation where you're like, a, you know, I'm in a tough situation and it's my marriage, it's my work, it's my finances, and maybe you pray and you don't see God moving, you need to read the book of Esther because that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Esther. And the question is, why would a loving God allow you to be in a situation that is seemingly more than you could handle? Esther did not sign up to be the savior of the Israelites, Esther was handpicked to be the queen. She's living a life of luxury. She has the crown. And all of a sudden, she's now being sucked into this, to this mission 
to save the Israelites and to be the hero, and she doesn't want to be the hero. And she's like, look, I, didn't, I don't look, I got my own problems. I've got my own life. I don't need this, and it's more than she could handle. I want to share with you three reasons why I believe God puts us in situations that is more than we could handle. Here's the first one here. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle because God wants you to look past the mirror. See, we're, by nature, we're very self-centered. Even when you come to church, the question is, what's in it for me? Where you go shop, and it's all like, if, if I'm not having a good experience, I'm not going to come back. We're very self-centered people. Whether you're a Christian or not, typically, we're very, very self-centered. In verse 13, Mordecai sends this message to Esther and says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. So Mordecai is telling her, look, don't think you're exempt. You're on the list. You may be on the bottom of the list, but eventually your life will be in jeopardy. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's not all about you. Can you do that? I know for some of you that felt really good. And for some of you who heard that, I know you're thinking, yes, it is. And you didn't hear that at all. I know you didn't. We know who you are. Verse 14, the question is, Mordecai asked, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Let's look at Mordecai for a little bit. Mordecai is related to Esther. And you know what he's doing? He's speaking truth to Esther. Do you have a Mordecai in your life? I mean, is there a Mordecai in your life that tells you stuff like, hey, you know what? You have a real problem with your temper. Hey, you know what? You have a real problem with the words that come out of your mouth. Hey, you know what? You have a real problem with the way you carry yourself. Hey, you know what? You have a real issue that comes out. And do you have a Mordecai in your life that speaks truth and love? How do you handle the Mordecai? Do you shut them down? Do you just argue with them? Do you just tell them, well, you do this? Do you get in an argument with them? Or do you listen? How, who's your Mordecai and how do you handle your Mordecai? See, when you have Mordecais in your life that truly love you, you grow in character. It's a beautiful thing. Mordecai tells Esther, look, don't think that you're going to be exempt. And, and here's a question. What if you're queen for exactly for this time, for such a time as this? What if everything was coming to the head and this is why you're in this position for this specific time? At some point, Esther has to look past her crown. At some point, she has to look past her title. At some point, she has to look past her image. John Ortberg wrote a book called Overcoming Your Shadow Mission. Overcoming Your Shadow Mission. And he describes a shadow mission like this. A shadow mission is an authentic mission that has been derailed, often in imperceptible ways. Part of what makes the shadow mission so tempting is that it's usually so closely related to our gifts and passions. It's not 180 degrees off track. It is just 10 degrees off track. So stay with me. Here's a shadow mission with Esther. Esther is now queen. She has status. She's living a life of luxury. 
She's now living large. So it's kind of like box check, 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 check. And she's thinking, this is it. I've arrived. This was God's will for me to have this job, for me to be in this position. This is it. And then Mordecai comes around and says, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's, that's all good, but there's a bigger mission than what you're thinking. It's a divine mission. But you got to look past your crown. You've got to look past yourself. You have to be willing to die. But this mission is a divine mission. And in this mission, other people will be impacted by your decision to say yes. Now, we have to be careful because we can fall in love with our shadow mission. Our shadow mission is, God, give me a good job. God, bless me. God, I want more money. God, I want to live well. God, I want to go to Starbucks or whatever. God, I want to, you know, this is like, you know, I want to live right here. And that's all good. God's a good God. He wants to bless you. But there is a divine mission that you have to cross over. And that was the dilemma for Esther. Esther was like, I don't know if I want to cross over because I could die. And I'm living well here. And Mordecai is saying, you got to cross over because if you cross over, other people will be impacted by your yes. Maybe this isn't your mission. Maybe there's a greater mission. And many of us fall in love with our shadow mission. The truth is our shadow mission, we're typically the benefactor of the blessings. It's more about us. And we live in that shadow mission. But the truth is God has a great mission for you. God has a purpose for your life, and it expands the borders of your own home and everything there. Is it possible to be a Christian without a cross? Is it possible to be a Christian without obedience? Is it possible? Our human nature says, I want, I want the blessings, I want the rewards without the effort. It's like the Super Bowl ring, right? I have a plastic Super Bowl ring. I, it's, it's like our, our human nature is, I want this life, but I don't want it to cost me anything. That's our human nature. Look what happens to Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 14, the story behind this guy is he, God just uses him to deliver the Israelites. There's 10 plagues that happen, and the last plague is the angel of death, and the only ones that were exempt were those who the blood of the lamb was smeared on the doorpost, and that's our Passover, the Jewish holiday, the Super Bowl of holidays for the Jewish uh, people. And, and, and now they've been delivered out of Egypt, and Pharaoh said, go ahead and go, go worship your God. And, and now the Israelites are on their journey to go and worship God, and they're traveling, they're on their journey, and something happens in Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Pi-Harath between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal-Zephon. So God is telling them where to camp. This isn't like when we choose a place to go camping in Colorado. God is telling them where to camp. And verse 3 says, Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to, let's read this bold out loud, in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So what's this campsite look like? 
It's about a million or so Israelites that left Egypt during those days. And now they're told to camp along a shore. Do you know what shore that is? Do you know what river that is, that famous sea? It's called the Dead Sea. And God tells Moses to camp along the Dead Sea. Now, God knows what he's going to do. And then God tells Moses, oh, by the way, I'm going to stir the heart of Pharaoh, and it's going to become hard, and he's going to chase you guys, and you're camping along the Red Sea. I just want you guys to hang out there for a little bit. That doesn't sound fun at all. I mean, think about this. God is intentionally putting Moses and the Israelites between a rock and a hard place. Now, I, I'm, this is just speculation. This is not what Scripture says. But my guess is when Moses is along the Red Sea, he's probably not thinking, hey, if the, Israel, uh, the, the Egyptians come on to us, God can part the Red Sea. I'm guessing he's not thinking like that. He just sees a Red Sea. And if I were Moses, I would be like, God, maybe you should put us in a place where we could run, like a trail, like a wilderness, like a forest. Let us camp there because then when they come, then we can escape and it's no big deal and you can, you're going to be with us. And it, but God intentionally puts them along the Red Sea. See, sometimes God will put you in a position along the Red Sea. Sometimes God will put you between a rock and a hard place to display his glory. Sometimes God will do that. And when you're in that spot, you're thinking, why am I in this situation? I don't understand why I'm in this situation and this doesn't feel right. But let me just tell you, sometimes the blessings are found between the rock and the hard place. Sometimes the miracles are found between the rock and the hard place. It's that time when, when, you, when you're unemployed or, or, or that relationship or you're facing that wall where nothing is happening and your faith is there but nothing is happening. You're wondering, God, where are you? And sometimes God just lets things happen because it's a matter of his timing and God's going to do a great thing. And Scripture tells us that God put Moses between a rock and a hard place to display his glory so that all of the Egyptians and Pharaoh will know that there's no other God like God. And what happens? It's a famous story. Songs have been written about it where the Red Sea is parted. Moses, arguably, didn't think that was an option. Sometimes we can put God in a box and we're in a tough situation and we think, oh, there's no way I can be out of this situation. Oh, I need more money. If I had more money, things would be different or whatever it is. And we put God in a box and God just wants you to surrender to him and trust him. And the sea is parted. The waves are held back. And scripture says Moses and these million or so Israelites walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. That miracle is a famous miracle. And it never would have happened if Moses didn't say, yes, Lord. I'll park along, I'll camp along this shore, and I'll wait there. He was willing to do that. He was willing to do that. Number two is this. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle because God wants you to cry out to him from the bottom of your heart. Sometimes. 
There's certain times in our life, and you know what they are. Have you ever been in that situation where you're on your knees and you're like, God, I need you. I need you to work, God. I need a miracle. I don't know what else to do, God. I need you to work in my life, in my relationship. I need you to work in me, God. I want you to deliver me. Have you been in that situation before? God hears those prayers. He knows when it's really coming from the bottom of your heart and when it's not. God knows the difference. He'll never turn away a broken and a contrite heart. Verse 15 says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. She's talking about fasting. This is the closest you see in all the book of Esther of her praying, of God involved in this. And it's a three-day fast. Have you ever gone without food or drink as a fast before the Lord? Tough circumstances have a way of drawing you to your knees. There was a guy who uh, um, many, many, many years ago, he attended Thorn Creek, and he had a problem with alcohol. And uh, I knew it, and other people knew it. And, and one day, <laughs> one day, he, he was, uh, showed up during the week, um, not, not on the weekend of church, but during the week. And he showed up, and uh, I, I could tell the guy had been drinking that morning. And, and I, I, I said, um, hey, brother, I want to I pray for you. And I got all of our pastors, and we came around him, and we laid our hands on him while he was drunk. Now, if you're drunk, if you're intoxicated, the last thing you want is a bunch of pastors around you. I know it, but I just felt like God wanted me to do this. So we laid our hands, and we prayed over the guy, and I can tell he was hearing the words. You know, he can, you can tell where he was at, you know, what his alcohol level, but we were just praying that God would deliver him. I was at Starbucks a couple of days ago. I go there quite often, actually. It's just a confession. But anyway, I, uh, I was Starbucks, and uh, I, I, I ran into a pastor friend. And the guy that we used to pray for, his cousin was sitting with my pastor friend. And, um, and, and then he said, Reuben, you don't know this, but this guy's the cousin of so-and-so. I said, oh, man, how's he doing? He goes, let me tell you something. He goes, when he was at Thorn Creek, he attributes... He said, he said he's been clean now ever since Thorn Creek. And he said he attributes being clean to his time at Thorn Creek Church. That's what he said. Yeah, you put your hands together. Praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? God can do anything he wants. God can work a miracle. He can transform any heart. He's still in the business of changing lives. You could be sitting here right now and not want to be here, but God can transform your life and you can become a missionary in Papua New Guinea. You just, God can change and transform any single life. You may have a man that wants well, nothing to do with church, but he could become a spiritual leader in your home if he gives his life over to Jesus and you keep praying. You may have a woman who has nothing to do with church, but you keep praying for her and God can change her heart and fill her in empty spaces that you will, you'll, never, you'll never get. Mm, did you hear that? God can change any life. Let me read you Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, glory to God. Um, this, is, this is what Paul says. Now, Paul is on this journey. Paul has stepped over this line from about like himself, the shadow mission, to now he's going to be living out the God mission. And he says this in chapter 12, verse 9. And he said to me, my, this is what God told Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. This is what God is telling Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For power, let's read it out loud. For power is perfected in weakness. One more time. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 
Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. Let's read this last part out loud. For when I am weak, one more time, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul the Apostle, if he were living today, his level of education, he would have approximately seven doctorate degrees, at least seven doctorate degrees. Bright, he was educated at the best universities of that time. And he's gotten to this place in his walk with God, in his obedience to God, where he says, you know what? The only thing I'll brag about is my weakness because when I'm weak, he is strong. That's what he bags around. This is totally countercultural because in our world today, in our world today, we don't want people to know how weak we really are. We don't want people to know that we live with fear. We don't want people to know that we live with insecurities. We don't want people to look behind the curtain of our life. We don't want them to see our weaknesses, do we? So we manage our image. I want you to see how I have it all together. I want you to see how in control I am. I want you to see how I'm just all this and a bag of chips. You know what I mean? I'm all this. But, but here, Paul the Apostle has gotten to this point where he says, I've discovered something. When I am weak and his grace is enough, and when I am weak, he is strong. So I'm not afraid of my weaknesses anymore. Give your weaknesses to God that place where you fear, that place where you you doubt, that place where you worry, whatever it is, give that weakness to God because God knows what it is. And when you give that weakness and you say, God, I need you to work there, you sense the grace of God and a beautiful thing happens. A beautiful thing happens. Moses did it. God, I'm not a good communicator. Go somewhere else. Gideon did it. God, I'm not a hero. I'm the least of the least of the least. Go somewhere else. Esther, you know what, Mordecai, go somewhere else. I'm just here for the ride and I have the crown. Go somewhere else. Let me tell you something. What I've discovered is the attitude matters. Your attitude matters. Some of you came to church today and your attitude was, I want to hear a word from God. I need God so bad. I need to hear a word. And you know what? You're going to get a word from the Lord. Some of you were dragged to church. Some of you don't want to be at church. Some of you have already been looking at Snapchat and Instagram and all other stuff. You don't want to be, and you know what? There's a good chance you're going to miss it. Your attitude matters. As a pastor, I'll just tell you this. I coach quite a few people who are, you know, feel a calling from God in their life. And here are the people that I'm always concerned with as a pastor. The guy who says, yeah, I can do that. I could be a pastor. Yeah, I can preach. Yeah, I have all this business knowledge and business experience. And yeah, I can go up on stage. And yeah, I can do that. And yeah, I can be that leader. And yeah, you bet. Yeah, you bet. Those people frighten me. You know which the ones I don't worry about? The ones that say, I don't know how God wants to use me. I don't, I can't, I, I need him so bad. And I'm just so humbled that he wants to use me like this. And I'm just so, I don't know how God could use a guy or a gal like me. I don't worry about those people. 
because their heart's in the right place. You know what I'm saying? Their heart's in the right place. Their heart's in the right place. God wants your heart to be in the right place. Last thing is this. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle because the blessing is found in obedience. That's God's love language. Obedience. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, obey my commandments. And when you are obedient to God, God will take you places that you wouldn't otherwise have gone. Same thing with Esther. Esther's like, I don't know if I want to, I like my shadow mission. It's really cool. And you're asking me to leave that and go to the unknown where I potentially may die. In fact, that's what she says in verse 16. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king if I must die. I must die. Have you died to yourself? Have you died to yourself to live for him? That means there's no pulse for your preferences. It's not about you anymore. Have you died to yourself? I was working with this guy and and he was a he's kind of an interim pastor. He goes in and fills pulpits where the pastor is not there kind of thing. But um, he comes from the business world. And in the business world, he was a, uh, uh, a trainer. He worked with Fortune 500 companies. And he's the guy who's on stage at seminars and conferences and training events. He would go to the hotel where the companies would come together. And he was the guy on the platform. Charismatic, great communicator, fun kept the crowd engaged, just a really good communicator. So what he's been doing is he's been taking that now and he's he's asked to speak at churches as the pastor and he's taking that and he's basically applying what he learned in the business world to the church world. And I'm meeting with him and the Lord just gives me insight into this guy. It's not a question about his talent or gifts. And I tell him, I'm not going to tell you his name, but I told him, you know what your problem is, bro? <laughs> you haven't died to yourself. And he just looked at me like a deer in the headlights. And he said, Ruben, nobody's ever told me that. He goes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. <clears throat> I saw all that talent, and it is talent. And I thought, oh, what if... What if he left his shadow mission and died to himself and stepped over into that divine mission? I think God could use him even in greater ways. Jesus said this in John chapter 12. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is talking about his resurrection. But Jesus is also talking about potential and the human heart. If I had a seed in my hand right now and whatever kind of, you know, to your plan it would be, and if I, if I just put it up here in my Bible, would it have any power at all? Nothing. Nothing. But Jesus is saying, hey, here's, here's this. When, when you plant the seed and you, you, you put it underground and you cover it up with dirt, and you nurture it and, and give it the right amount of water, that seed that's underground 
will be activated when it dies. And the full potential of that seed will not be realized until it dies. The full potential of that seed will not be realized till it dies. Are you hearing me, church? When you die to yourself, only then the full potential will come out of the dirt and you'll be that person and God will use you and you'll cross over to the divine mission and know God's will for your life. But it will not happen until you die to yourself. Because you could spend your whole life going to church in the shadow mission, never dying to yourself. But your full potential happens when you say, God, I want to die to myself and I want to live for you and I want to surrender myself. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about my way. You know, you do that and I'm just going to tell you the people in your home will notice it. When you die to yourself, your words will be different. What you say, your friends, your dating life, your marriage, whatever, it'll be different. It'll look different. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, there's a famous garden where he said this famous prayer. It's called Gethsemane. And in Matthew chapter 26, it says this, then Jesus went out, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Another gospel says they fell asleep. <laughs> right? He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He knows the cross is in Jerusalem. He knows he's about to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's about to reconcile the wrath of God with humanity, and he's about to be the mediator of mediators, the sacrifice of all, and he's got to go through the cross. He knows that his blood is going to be shed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's thinking about that cross. He's thinking about the pain. Now, you know, Jesus was 100% God, and he's 100% human. Great mystery. It's important for us to understand theology. He's both. And in this passage, you see his humanity. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. If you've ever been overwhelmed with sorrow, you just need to know your Savior sees you, and your Savior knows what that feels like. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now here's the humanity of Jesus. You see it right here in this verse. Jesus is, you know, he knows the cross. He knows, he knows everything. He knows his purpose. He knows his divine mission. And he's just kind of thinking about his shadow mission a little bit. And he's thinking, you know what? Um, we're in the 11th hour and God, Father, if you have a plan B that you haven't disclosed yet, this is a good time to bring it out. Because if, if, if there's another way besides the cross, if there's another way that doesn't involve nails going through my hands and my feet, if there's another way that doesn't involve you being separated from me, 
if there's another way. Let's talk. <laughs> there's his humanity coming out. And look what Jesus says. You can see him just process. And what does he say? The last great words. Yes, or yet, not as I will, but as you will. Here's what he's saying. If I must die, I will die. Same thing with Esther. Same thing. And Jesus is saying, but you know what? That cup, it's greater than I could bear. It's, my soul is overwhelmed. But it, you know what? May your will be done and not mine. It's an incredible example for you and for me. When we say, you know what, God? I don't understand why I'm between this rock and this hard place. I don't understand why you're not moving right now. I don't understand what's wrong with him. I don't understand what's wrong with her. I don't understand why I'm in this crisis. I don't understand why I'm in this situation. I don't understand why you're making me camp along the Red Sea. But God, may your will be done and not mine. Can he get there? do that, there's something inside that happens. God says, all right, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Let God just plant you under that dirt. Let him plant you under that dirt. Let him plant you. And he'll cover up some dirt over you. But your true potential will come out. That true potential will come out. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. Thank you for the way you've moved in this service, God. I've sensed your presence. Maybe you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Maybe that's your first step. But you just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I give you my whole life. Others of you, maybe you're between the rock and the hard place. Maybe God has told you, I want you to camp along the Red Sea. Maybe you need to say this, God, not my will, but your will be done. Others of you might need to die to yourself. You need to say, God, I just want to die to myself today. I want to walk with humility, not pride. I want to have that same attitude that's described in Philippians chapter 2. That kenosis passage. Thank you, God, for hearing us. I pray that you just bless every person here, God. Bless their home. Watch over them, God. Show them how big you are, how great you are. You are faithful, God. We love you, God. And we know no situation is impossible for you, God. Speak to every soul here, Lord, today, even during the week. And may your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. 
If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.